Think about the last time you witnessed an injustice. Maybe you saw a coworker being treated harshly, or you encountered a homeless person struggling to find shelter on a cold night. Or maybe you read a news story about the humanitarian crisis going on in the world right now, and it makes you feel helpless and angry. Or maybe it was more personal. Someone you love betrayed your trust and you feel consumed by resentment. Or you were pushed into picking up someone else's slack and repairing their mistakes and you feel taken advantage of. How did you react? Were you angry? That would be a natural reaction. Or you might have the opposite instinct. Maybe you gravitate towards being quiet and repressing your emotions. Maybe you feel caught up in helplessness and overwhelmed and you don't do anything at all. You just numb out. It is possible to find a balance between the two extremes, anger and control on the one hand, and people-pleasing and silence on the other. The wisdom of the fourth beatitude helps you find fairness in your life without compromising your boundaries or sacrificing your kind heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm Nina Hielenda, Franciscan sister, spiritual director, and founder of Dancing Spirit Tours. It wasn't that long ago that I lacked the self-awareness and inner freedom to grow my relationship with the divine. Fast forward past a lot of lessons learned, I now have a spirituality that gives me more joy, meaning, and connection than I ever thought possible. I created the Holy Rebels podcast to give you simple, actionable strategies to help you trust your gut, develop your intuition, and stay grounded when life gets hard. If you're a spiritual seeker or a mystic in the making, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Holy Rebels podcast. We're exploring a series about the eight keys to happiness, also known as the ancient wisdom of the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude means blessing of happiness. Each of these keys is like a deep paradox explaining the mysteries of the human condition. They're invitations to connect personally with the divine and experience more joy, purpose, and fulfillment in your life. This is the fourth episode in this series, and I recommend you listen to the series in order. Today we're diving deep into the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm so excited to explore this one with you. There's a lot of power behind this beatitude because it's about our human longing for true cosmic order in our personal lives and in our interpersonal relationships and also on a large community level. Oh, and before we jump in, at the end of this episode, I have a gift for you. So if you've been enjoying the Holy Rebels podcast and you're following the Beatitudes series, you're going to find tremendous inspiration in this gift. It's valued at $97, but I'm giving it to you today for free, no strings attached, because it's something that I really want you to have if you've been following this series. I poured my heart into creating this for you. 
So stick around because at the end, I'll be revealing what it is and I'll share all the details. So I have a question for you. What is the first thing you need to do to create a sense of balance? According to Plato, true righteousness or true justice is about finding harmony within you. I really like the Buddhist definition of righteousness on the Noble Eightfold Path. They call it right relationship. Right relationship with self begins by fostering deep self-respect. There's a story about the Dalai Lama. When he first began teaching Tibetan Buddhism to Westerners, he was confused and a little bit horrified because the basis of all Tibetan compassion practices is to open your heart and have compassion for others as you would with yourself. Well, he was shocked to learn that many Westerners don't love themselves. This lack of self-love, of self-compassion, makes connection with others more fraught with neediness and insecurities. Another problem the Dalai Lama noticed was that we Westerners have philosophically separated our minds and spirits from our bodies, and much of our self-loathing expresses itself through the loathing of our physical bodies. Many of us walk around like we're simply heads with this thing we ignore that kind of dangles below our neck. It's silly, but it's very harmful. Reconnecting with your body is essential to your well-being, your mental health, and to your ability to have right relationship with yourself. If you respect yourself, your life will overflow with good things. And that's because your core belief is that you are worthy and that will drive your actions and lead to results. It will lead to a meaningful, fulfilled life, a life that sprouts out of adhering to your principles, even in challenging circumstances. This is truly a righteous life. Self-respect comes from having deeply held principles that act as a compass by which you guide your actions, decisions, and interactions. Adhering to your principles may not always be the easy path. It requires you to stand alone sometimes or face disapproval. But in the long run, the way you stick to your principles shapes your identity. It earns you respect from others, and most importantly, it cultivates a sense of self-worth. And that's because consistently maintaining your principles sends a clear message to yourself and to others about what you stand for. It shows that you value yourself and that you won't compromise your integrity for temporary gains. Integrity is what draws people towards you and nurtures healthy relationships that are based on mutual respect. Consider a scenario at work or a project you're part of where your ideas are often overlooked or disregarded. In such a situation, seeking justice, right relationship, could involve confidently voicing your opinions and clearly demonstrating your knowledge and expertise. You're not necessarily correcting anyone else's behavior, but you're treating yourself how you'd like others to treat you. 
You are valuing your contributions and you believe that they deserve to be recognized. Now consider a social setting where your boundaries are pushed. Seeking right relationship in this context could mean reinforcing your boundaries and expressing your discomfort when they're crossed. Speaking up is a potent way of nurturing your relationship with yourself and conveying self-respect to signal to others that they need to respect you, or you will reinforce those boundaries by taking yourself out of the situation. Seeking justice isn't really about the other person. It also concerns acknowledging and asserting your self-worth to yourself by maintaining personal integrity and upholding a standard that you have for you. And you get to decide what that standard is. What feels good to you? How do you want to be treated? And most importantly, how will you treat yourself? It all starts with you. When you're deciding your boundaries, you also need to figure out what you're going to do if your boundaries are crossed or if your standards aren't able to be met by a situation or another person. Not everyone will be able to respect your boundaries or meet your needs, but those who don't won't stay in your life. Because when you stick with your principles, you're creating an environment of respect, trust, and positivity for you, which inevitably brings forth fairness and justice. True justice means that you correct harm without doing harm. It is a balancing act of strength and kindness not being overly aggressive or overly agreeable. When talking about true justice and setting our boundaries, we need to address the subject of anger. Anger, when acknowledged and managed appropriately, becomes the vital tool that you need to create more self-awareness. Anger can be your friend. Remember the wisdom of Socrates— Know thyself. That's the goal. The more self-aware you are, the freer you are to consciously create your life. Anger is your built-in alarm system. It alerts you whenever your personal boundaries are being crossed. If you disregard the signals or suppress your anger, you risk creating a deeply ingrained habit of self-negation, which leads to emotional disconnection. In other words, if you ignore your anger and you push it down, then you're ignoring your internal alarm system and numbing your feelings. Not only are you alienating yourself from what's important to you, you're simmering in a deep sense of resentment. And that has toxic consequences for you. You'll start to feel like a victim. You will feel powerless, ineffective, unworthy. You will start to blame external factors and other people for your unhappiness. You'll be out of touch with your feelings. You will lose motivation, confidence. It's terrible. I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. So while you might think in the moment that pushing down your anger is just you being flexible and easygoing, if you do this long term, there are serious consequences. Ignoring your anger creates an internal void, 
a detached state where you no longer are able to genuinely engage with your life. The things you used to feel passionately about slowly drain away. You lose your sense of purpose. You're merely existing. Making space for your anger to exist, to just be heard by you, that's the starting place of asserting your boundaries. Anger is part of your internal compass that's guiding you towards a happy life. Stop making excuses for other people when they hurt you and you don't stand up for yourself or remove yourself from the situation. We say to ourselves, Oh, well, they didn't mean it, or Oh, I don't want to cause a problem, so it's better if I don't say anything, or Oh, it's not a big deal, I guess. Oh, I'm just being sensitive. You're gaslighting yourself. Now, I'm not saying don't be flexible. Sometimes it's really not a big deal. But you need to reflect on that and decide what's important to you. Discern which boundaries truly are flexible and which are non-negotiable. If you're staying in situations where your non-negotiable boundaries are being crossed over and over again, then you're convincing yourself that you are not worthy of respect and that your feelings don't matter. And you can't blame anyone else for that. As a consequence, you'll be living someone else's life. You'll be feeling unfulfilled. And you don't deserve that. You deserve happiness. And you can be happy. It is your birthright. And that's why this beatitude is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What that means is that you are blessed when you're in touch with what's important to you, when you can feel your feelings, because then you will be fulfilled. You're fortunate when you stand up for self-respect, for cosmic justice will be achieved through your own feelings of worthiness. But how do you do this? How do you set your boundaries? We hear this word, boundaries, but many of us have no idea what our boundaries are or how to uphold them. And we might even think of boundaries as something like a property line or a brick wall used to keep people out. But boundaries aren't visible, rigid lines. First of all, people don't know what your boundaries are because they're different for all of us. Boundaries aren't there to keep other people out. Boundaries are there to let the right people in. And when you understand how to set and maintain healthy boundaries, you can avoid the feelings of resentment, disappointment, and anger that build up when limits have been pushed and when we let the wrong types of people into our lives. Boundaries can take many forms. They range from being strict to almost non-existent. If you have more rigid boundaries, you might keep people at a distance. You might seem detached even with intimate partners. You might have very few close relationships. You might avoid close relationships altogether. But if you have more loose and open boundaries, you might be too involved with other people and their problems. You might find it difficult to say no to people when they make requests of you. 
You might overshare personal information. You might seek to please others for fear of rejection. Those are the two extremes. Some indications that you have healthy boundaries include sharing personal information appropriately. Not too much, not too little. The appropriate amount for the level of intimacy of that relationship. Another sign you have healthy boundaries is that you understand your personal needs and you know how to communicate them comfortably to someone else. You value your own opinions. You're open to listening to other people. You accept when others tell you no. Many of us have a mix of boundaries depending on the situation. For example, you might have strict boundaries at work and decide you'd rather not have any close personal friendships in your workplace. And you might have looser boundaries at home with your friends and family. You'll have different boundaries depending on your culture. Some cultures find that sharing personal information is not appropriate at any time, while in other cultures, sharing is even encouraged. So how do you set these boundaries in a healthy way? This is something that many people struggle with. And it's not your fault if you do have a hard time with this, because we have not been taught how to set our boundaries. A good starting place is to be calm, firm, and clear about what you need. Have clear and reasonable consequences for crossing a boundary. If someone has a habit of talking over you, for example, you could say, Hey, Lydia, I feel upset when you talk over me. If you keep doing that, I can't continue this conversation. Can you please let me finish my thought before you share yours? This is the anatomy of setting a healthy boundary. You're sharing your feelings. Hey, Lydia, I feel upset. You're telling her why in a fairly neutral way. And then you're telling her what will happen if she does it again. You're saying, if you keep doing that, I can't continue this conversation. And lastly, you're making a request for Lydia. You're saying, hey, can you please let me finish my thought before you share yours? This gives Lydia an opportunity to connect more deeply with you by respecting your boundary. Now, you might be thinking, well, Lydia does it all the time. She's bound to interrupt me again. What should I do? And that's the hardest part of maintaining a boundary. It's following through on the consequence of them being broken. Other people are not responsible for your boundaries. They may or may not respect them but you need to respect them. So if Lydia interrupts you again, you'll have to follow through on the consequence, a reasonable consequence. In this case, ending the conversation. And this is the hardest part because you want to have a constructive conversation with Lydia. She's your friend, but you also can't control her behavior. She's more likely to respect your boundaries next time if you follow through on that consequence this time. You could say, Lydia, I'm feeling too overwhelmed to continue this conversation right now. I'll talk to you later. Teaching other people how to treat us is an art form because we want to balance firmness with a sense of compassion for other people. Another example, you might say, 
Hey, I want to listen to you vent about your recent breakup, Anna, but I can't talk while I'm at work. Or you might tell your family that you want to attend their holiday party, but you can only do that if Uncle Steve agrees to stop bringing up that hot-button political topic. Through boundaries like these and communicating them, you can be patient and generous without compromising your needs. The biggest challenge of trying to achieve righteousness or right relationship is that we diminish ourselves. We undermine our needs. You might feel like it takes a lot of energy to justify your needs. You might not feel like you have enough self-esteem to set these firm yet compassionate boundaries. But if you trust yourself, then you know your feelings are valid and your boundaries are necessary. If you can fully and freely trust yourself, you're freeing up your energy and shifting out of survival mode. And this allows you to become a kinder, softer person with the power to protect yourself and at the same time offer compassion to others. If you're being kind when you're setting your boundaries, then you attract the same in return, and it will fill your life with peace and happiness. This is the abundant life of the eight keys to happiness, a life rooted in principles, blooming with integrity and respect. I hope you know your infinite worthiness, my friend. This whole concept of knowing your self-worth reminds me of a poem by Hafiz. I'd like to share it with you. This is a translation by Daniel Ladinsky. Do you know how beautiful you are? I think not, my dear. For as you talk of God, I see great parades with wildly colorful bands streaming from your mind and heart carrying wonderful and secret messages to every corner of the world. I see saints bowing in the mountains hundreds of miles away to the wonder of sounds that break into light from your most common words. Speak to me of your mother, your cousins, and your friends. Tell me of the squirrels and birds you know. Awaken your legion of nightingales, let them soar wild and free in the sky and begin to sing of God. Let's all begin to sing of God. Do you know how beautiful you are? This poem always makes me so emotional because it reminds me that if we all knew our worth, we would be a lot more relaxed. We would trust in ourselves to take care of our own needs. And that frees us to extend the spirit of kindness and compassion towards other people. Okay, well, let's move now from finding right relationship within ourselves to what it means to create right relationship in the wider world. True righteousness, true justice. This is a topic where many of us feel powerless. We turn on the news and we immediately numb out because it's so overwhelming. But my friend, there is hope. The fourth beatitude encourages us to develop compassion, a compassion so deep that 
every creature becomes your sibling. Like St. Francis of Assisi, Brother Sun, Sister Moon, or as many indigenous cultures say, all our relations. When you wish for the well-being of another person as deeply as you wish it for yourself, that is true righteousness. But is it possible? Well, the mystics of the world say it is. Can you imagine a world where we cared so much about one another that no one goes to sleep until everyone has a roof over their head? Where no one sits down to a meal until every child is fed? We could create a world where no one feels free until everyone is free. Actually, I believe that's true. I believe we do live in a world where no one feels free because everyone is not free. That's why we have this collective unsettled feeling. I do believe that we can feel one another's suffering even if we don't know that's what we're experiencing because we are all connected. It's hard to watch someone suffer. Tapping into the desire for everyone's wellness is what radical compassion means. This is the art of loving kindness. I don't say this to you from an idealist perspective, but from my lived experience as a realistic optimist. I don't wear rose-colored glasses or shy away from the reality. Humans are greedy, immature, we're selfish. I see the imperfect, messy human experience. And I also see that we're capable of being immensely generous, loving, creative, resourceful, and capable of learning. I'd like to share a personal story with you. Do you remember the Syrian refugee crisis of 2016? The news was saturated with heart-rending stories of families, Children risking their lives on flimsy lifeboats to cross the treacherous Mediterranean. They were desperately seeking a safer life, and tragically many of them didn't make it. I first heard these heart-wrenching reports while I was in Reykjavik, Iceland. I was on my way to the airport for a flight home after a pilgrimage. My taxi driver made a racist comment about the situation in Syria and turned off the radio. The rest of the drive was awkwardly silent. I felt disturbed by the taxi driver's casual dismissal of the humanitarian crisis. It reminded me of the intolerance and prejudice that contributes to the very conflicts refugees are forced to flee from. Isn't it strange, the contrast between our deep capacity for empathy and the ease with which we can dismiss the suffering of others when it does not directly impinge on our lives? On my flight back to North America, I had a chance to really reflect. 30,000 feet over the Atlantic Ocean, my most pressing concerns revolved around the inadequate legroom and the underwhelming meals offered during the flight. In the midst of these minor inconveniences, I was struck by the disturbing realization. If I had been born 50 years earlier, 
I would have been a child in Hitler's Austria, subject to cruel and unfathomable conditions like the Syrian children adrift in their lifeboats. It's a sobering thought. By sheer coincidence, I was born into a safer world. I didn't do anything to earn my good fortune, just as those Syrian children hadn't done anything to deserve their fate. Over the nine-hour flight, my mind kept coming back to this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When I landed back home, I made a decision to do something about this injustice. I rallied my friends and neighbors, and together we formed the Victoria Refugee Initiative. Partnering with the United Nations Human Rights Council, we raised the necessary funds to sponsor a Syrian refugee family and bring them to Canada. Fast forward four months to the day of my taxi ride in Reykjavik. I found myself at the airport. But this time, it wasn't about my travels. I was there to welcome a family of five to their new home. A young couple and their three children. Miriam, a bright 14-year-old, Bahir, the energetic middle child, and five-year-old Ali, shy and adorable. Their journey was not an easy one. For two years, they lived under dreadful conditions, huddled in a damp basement in Jordan. When the UN found them, they were quickly whisked away onto a plane, unaware of their destination. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the fear and uncertainty they must have felt? Their first glimpse of their new life was us, their sponsors, waiting at the arrivals gate with a hand-painted sign bearing a simple welcome in Arabic. The father of the family approached me, confusion etched on his face. He asked me something in Arabic which I didn't immediately grasp, but soon I understood what he was saying. Why are you helping us? My friend, this is how I know people are good. Because we drove the family to their new home, fully furnished by the overwhelming generosity of strangers. For months leading up to the family's arrival, my home became a charitable community center. In response to my social media posts asking for help, people showed up with kitchenware, food, handmade quilts, electronics, books, clothing. One little girl handed me her teddy bear and said she hopes that it comforts another child. Day after day, Strangers arrived at my door, their arms laden with gifts intended for the incoming family. The morning after the family arrived, I joined them for a leisurely walk around their new neighborhood, a quiet, tranquil suburb. As we were strolling, an airplane soared overhead. Most of us would consider this a mundane event, part of daily life. But for Ali the five-year-old. It was terrifying. He instinctively crouched down on the sidewalk. Why such a reaction? For Ali, airplanes meant danger, a harbinger of bombs and destruction. 
It's a stark contrast to our perception. Airplanes are vehicles of travel. The heartbreaking part is that this fear was Ali's reality. To comfort him, I handed him the teddy bear that that little girl had donated. What struck me most profoundly throughout this entire experience was the palpable yearning for a just world that I witnessed in all those people around me. Their belief in a better world was a force that moved them to act. When people believe their actions can genuinely make a difference in another person's life, it sparks a powerful desire to be of service. We all collectively yearn for a world that's fair, a world where everyone has a chance to thrive. So when the family arrived and we drove them to their new home, they were speechless. All these people who thoughtfully furnished their home, ensuring their comfort as they start this new chapter of their lives. It is so humbling for me because I feel that I gained so much from this experience. I got to watch people come together put their hopes and dreams for a better world into action. I feel the impact of this beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This experience taught me the life-changing importance of compassion in action. You can make a difference. There's a beautiful translation of this beatitude from Aramaic to English. Blessed are those who wade up at night, weakened and dried out inside by the unnatural state of the world. They are the ones who are encircled by a new society. So what dries you up inside? And what will you do about it? Can you smile at someone today? Can you call up your father and tell him you love him? Can you buy your girlfriend flowers? Listen to a friend in need? Can you buy an extra Danish at the cafe and give it to the homeless man outside? To create a better world for everyone, you've got to dare to believe it can happen. You have to know that you are part of the solution. And that begins with self-respect, as we learned at the beginning of this episode. By sponsoring Ali, that little five-year-old, and his family to come to Canada, my community didn't end the Syrian crisis or change the minds of people like my cab driver. We didn't change the world. But for one family... We changed their world. And through acts like that, we can transform the whole world. The pandemic brought a sudden halt to our pilgrimages with Dancing Spirit Tours. It was a heavy blow for us, but we pivoted. I started creating online courses about mysticism and spirituality. But shifting to online learning was a whole new world for me because I missed the in-person interactions that we have with our Dancing Spirit community. I missed the joy of showing people sacred spaces, from cathedrals to ancient forests. 
One day, in the midst of developing an online program called Wisdom of the Mystics, I needed a break. I needed to go for a walk. And on my walk, I had a heart-to-heart conversation with God. I expressed my feelings of doubt. Am I making a difference? Am I helping people? God, I need your guidance. I feel isolated and unsure. I don't know if I'm making a positive impact. Please give me a sign to reassure me of my path. As if in response to my plea, I suddenly heard a familiar voice calling my name. Nina! I turned around to see Ali, the once shy and timid five-year-old who had been terrified of airplanes. But now he was a confident ten-year-old boy riding his bike with his friends. A big smile on his face, he called out to me in perfect English. Nina, my family is happy. We're happy to see you. Thank you. I was overwhelmed with gratitude and humility. The essence of the beatitude had come full circle. After everything that we did to help Ali and his family, he was now stepping forward in my time of need, reassuring me that I matter, that my actions have an impact. Of course, he didn't know that, but my prayer had certainly been answered. Today, I hope you can remind yourself that your actions matter too. Don't let the pain of the world numb your heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thank you so much for spending time with me today to explore this essential key to true happiness. As promised, I have a gift for you. It's a free masterclass called Three Keys to Unlock Your Connection to the Divine. If you're curious about embodied spirituality, this masterclass will help you listen to your intuition and embrace its role in shaping your values and your life. You'll gain new skills to tap into that incredible power that resides within you and create a deeper connection to the universe. Plus, you'll get a beautiful workbook filled with journal prompts and practical exercises for being a better human. This masterclass is valued at $97, and it's yours for free, no strings attached. Go to mysticalspirituality.com and fill out the form that pops up. Next week, we move on to the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The beauty of mercy lies in its reciprocity. By showing mercy towards others, we open ourselves to receive mercy from others, and more importantly, from ourselves too. It's like St. Francis says, for it is in giving that we receive. We'll discuss how mercy can transform your life and how you can actively cultivate it in your everyday interactions. All right, my friend, I'll see you next time. Don't forget about your free masterclass. Go to mysticalspirituality.com and fill out the form that pops up to get it for free. Be well, my friend, and trust the mystic within you.